It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Should the Thunder trade for Kristaps Porzingis? Who are some second-round picks that the Thunder should pay attention to? And a first-round sleeper that I'm very interested in. All of this and more is coming up on today's show of Locked on Thunder, brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. So stay tuned for the Michelob Ultra moment of the week coming up later on in this episode. This is our final installment of our chat with Richard Stamen. Again, it was recorded on Zoom and the settings, I guess, were off. So excuse my audio for uh, this portion. We'll be back to normal next week. But it was a very fun chat and a very, very, very good conversation about the possibility of adding Christoph Porzingis to the Oklahoma City Thunder. So stay tuned for that and enjoy the show. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Moving away from the top five and even the first round, the Thunder have three second round picks this year, and I'm sure they're going to consolidate that in some way. They're trading two of them or trading all three of them uh, and doing something with that in a trade package. But for right now, who are your kind of top five second round players? Because the Thunder have second round picks all over at the top of the second round. They have the end of the second round. So who are your top five uh, second round players right now? Yeah, so I think it starts with Sandro Mamu Kelashvili for me. Uh, kind of a handful of a name, and it's pretty long, but he's a point forward, point center even from Seton Hall. Really creative. He can run a pick and roll as a big man, just shoots, can handle, can pass. Doesn't offer a lot of defensive versatility, but I don't think that matters in defensive skill, really. I don't think it matters too much, though, just because you don't find point centers. Those guys stick. Um, so him, and then I would also – move down a little bit. Look at Josh Primo. If you're looking for the absolute highest ceiling in the second round, it's him. He's a young kid from Alabama. Didn't get to show a lot, but really athletic, good size and excellent shot creator. When he got to, when he got to show it can size guys up and just jump, right, jump and shoot right over them. I think the upside is limitless for him and he should probably go top 20 pretty safely. And then if you're looking for a third guy who could be a diamond in the rough in Europe, I would start with uh, there's a kid, Matthew Gauzin, over in France, he used to, I think he won like the MVP or something in 2019, 2018 of FIBA U18 and U19. He was a star at the least in those tournaments. And he is outstanding. Really nice shooter, creative passer, combo guard at I think 6'4", 6'5", and really athletic, probably top three quickest player in the draft. He's one of those very high ceiling players who I think he's the next diamond in the rough from Europe. So the Thunder have a great track record of developing talent and finding talent, and they're one of the best in the league at that. And in this draft, they could have two top five picks. If they don't get two top five picks, they'll have a top five pick and pick 18, um, as well as pick 35, 36, 55. So they have three second-round picks, lowest is 55, highest is 35. Where does the value end in this draft? Where is the the point in the second round where you'd kind of want to get out of there and and just kind of call it good and, and pack it in for the year? 
So it's honestly kind of hard to say until we see you guys withdraw because this happened last year where I was just like, wow, this is an 80 deep class. And then like 30 guys withdrew and I was like, oof, I don't know if I want any pick after 50, which I kind of expected it to be a similar thing. Um, maybe, I mean, it's a little bit deeper because the star power at the top pushes quality guys down more than they did last year. But I would say around 50, 45, you're swinging at the fences. You might get one guy in that entire range. But just statistically speaking, those guys just generally don't hit. Um, and I really don't see why this year would be an exception too much. I'm excited to see what the second round will bring. Is there a second rounder that, that you feel, uh, you know, the safest in having an actual NBA career? Like you think that, yeah, they're going to get drafted in the second round, but they're going to stay in this league for a long time. Cause that's not always guaranteed with second round picks. Yeah, there's a few, I mean, there's every year, there's a guy like Jalen Brunson who unnecessarily slips in, but this year for me, I think it starts with Aaron Henry at Michigan State. He was a 3-and-D-ish, uh, not too confident in the three-point shot wing, but it doesn't really matter because he can handle the ball and defend at a really high level, really versatile, athletic. I really like him. I think he's a guy, he has the mold of just someone who sticks and is a glue guy on the wing. And I had a question about a very niche player, but Isaiah Todd. What happened with Isaiah Todd? Why is he so far off the grid what what are his biggest knocks in his game because it was a big story whenever Isaiah Todd signed with the Ignite and who's a hyped up prospect in high school and then he goes and plays and, and plays pretty well in, in the Ignite I think he uh, could be worth kind of a, a low first high second but that, that feeling is not very much shared around the NBA draft community what happened with Isaiah Todd yeah I think he's a guy that NBA teams value a lot more than draft Twitter especially because a lot of draft Twitter keeps up with high school where in a senior year, junior, senior year, something like that, you know, he was the number one prospect coming into the junior year. And then he kind of fell off. He went out down to like number 18, didn't have the best season. So I think people kind of still have a sour taste in their mouths from that because they just expected so much because that archetype is so valuable. But in the G league, he really was good. He can shoot over defenders. He can ISO like as six ten and being able to shoot over defender on a pull-up dribble or on a pull-up jump shot like that's that's really valuable his offensive skill set is really unique and maybe he overshowed some of his skills but I think ultimately you should definitely take a chance in the second round honestly I would take him in the top 25 20 to 30 and be completely fine with it okay he is in my top 30 so again I feel better about that now that I've talked to a smart person and they've confirmed that bias I have but uh you know I think that Isaiah Todd will be the guy that benefits the most from this year being back to normal and getting to do the private workouts, getting to do actual in-person interviews, getting to talk to with teams. I think that that will, will see him rise. I think that you're right, that, that NBA teams will value him a lot more uh, than Twitter accounts that are just watching, you know, kind of clips uh, of Isaiah Tata in general. Right. And I think just the G league guys in general, probably viewed a lot higher in NBA circles, just because they got the pro experience, they played against former first and second round picks in recent years. So there's, there's a lot more Intel on those guys than what could ever reach the draft Twitter. And it's different for them than compared to like college, you know, I think, I think it's an interesting you know, kind of test subject of, of how do you value the numbers specifically? And then the play uh, whenever you're going up against the thunder, I mean, the, the thunder roster after the bubble ended, was the blue roster. I mean, you're playing Moses Brown, Poku, they're playing Ty Jerome, they're playing all the guys that played the G League Night team ended up being the Thunder's actual roster. And obviously uh, that's a, that's a hyper exaggerated point there, uh, but it's NBA caliber players it's, it, to one extreme or another. Uh, but 
we have to talk about this hot topic because it would be injustice to not get to it as we talk about the draft. Has your feeling changed at all about there being a godfather offer out there that could get Oklahoma City Cade Cunningham if they do not land at number one? Or do you still believe that whoever gets number one is taking Cade and running? I still think it's Caden running. I think whoever gets number one is they're not trading it. Even if it's a godfather offer, like, okay, I'm giving you two, five and base. Like that does not get it done. It's close. It's, it's making me think about it a lot harder than it was a month and month, two months ago. So I, I just, I think, I don't think anybody's giving up Kate. I mean, I've said this for months. Kate is the lock for, to go number one, like the same way Zion was not going to go number two. Same thing for Kate. I think that's a tribute to how good Kate is. Like, I feel like saying this right now um, is about how much joy you should have whenever June 22nd comes and hopefully the Thunder are revealed as the number one overall pick. Now, I have to talk about actual NBA players who have played this season and not prospects because you're a Mavs fan. You're at Mavs draft and the Mavs. Uh, sadly blew the series to the Clippers, which could have brought the Thunder so much joy had the Mavs actually finish off the Clippers in round one. And the big story from round one is Kristaps Porzingis. Number one, what happened with Kristaps Porzingis? Because I think that it gets confusing for fans who don't watch the Mavericks and don't watch them intently to really register what's going on with KP. Because you look at the box score from this year, look at his overall stats, his basketball reference page from this year. It looks good. And then you look at the playoffs and he was terrible. What's what's the missing link there? And there's also some attitude issues. I don't think that people really know, but what's the missing link link in? I can go look at his basketball reference page and think, hey, good season. But then I I watch him in the playoffs and he's the worst player on the floor. Yeah. So, I mean, to kind of emphasize that he did have his best offensive season of his career. I think far and away, every advanced metric rated that. Um, especially with efficiency. So there is some praise to be had offensively. He found a good role, but defensively, it was really rough. It was a combination of at times he really just did not look interested and it was contagious to the team at times. And then also the fact that he never looked fully recovered from that knee surgery he had where he came back at, I think it was early January, something like that, right when the team was getting COVID. And I think, I don't know what it was, but I don't know why he just stopped trying on defense. I think it's more an effort thing than a, you know, skill thing. He also ball watched a lot. And then in the playoffs, when they ran a zone, he was really good on defense, but he just stopped playing on offense. He was scared. He was very passive. And you, you just can't find the, the right medium for him, you know? Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Only 9.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Enjoy creates success. Enjoyment's not the end game. It's the whole game in the Michelob Ultra moment of the week. We're going to take you all the way back to the Lou Dort game winner because how could you not enjoy that game winner from Lou Dort where he hits the shot in the corner this year, his first game winner ever as a basketball player. Never hit one in elementary school, high school, middle school, college, and then he, his first one ever is at the NBA level. And then you had that mad scene where Al Horford and everybody's rushing over to Lou Dort and piling on him as he falls down as the shot's going in in the corner. Uh, that was a very, very fun moment in this season uh, where, of course, you, you didn't have the win-losses that you're used to. Uh, you know, you, you were actually more so rooting for losses than wins. 
It was a good win in that sense to just have that fun moment with Lou Dort. And there's a few game winners this year that will eventually become ultra moments of the year. But again, Michelob Ultra brings you joy, happiness, and enjoyment. It's only worth it if you enjoy it at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. I certainly do enjoy Michelob Ultra. Joy creates success. Enjoyment's not the end game. It's the whole game. So try it out right now. And then go on Twitter, use the hashtag ultra moment and let me know your favorite moment of this thunder season at Rylan underscore styles at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So so what is his value for KP? Because I think that this is very interesting in what the Mavericks do this offseason. I think that there's an argument to be made that they should take a step backward in order to set up their future and maybe even lose value on a KP trade. They also, though, have options of taking on a bad deal that could make them better. For example, Al Horford. I think that Al Horford would make the Mavericks better in the very short term. Now, how long will Al Horford make them better is the question that the Mavericks have to evaluate. Uh, But what is your value on KP right now? If you're Diane Nelson, you're not trading KP unless you get what? I think it's hard. I think you have to get at least one pick is probably the realistic thing. Like, the three things I've seen, one of them is an absolute steal for Dallas. I don't think it's realistic. Is Porzingis for McCollum straight up? I don't see why Portland does it, even if it fills an area of need. I think they're selling low on McCollum that way, and that's just even though that's just bad business. Um, but the other two ones that I've heard are pretty much right in line with what I would want Dallas to do, which is Kemba Walker in a pick, or even Kemba Walker and Marcus Smart for Brunson and Porzingis two by lows swapping off and then a young point guard. I don't know really with Marcus Smart, I still think it's done for them to trade, but that's besides the point. And then the last one is Al Horford. I, I mean, you've seen since January or February, I've been tweeting about how much I want him on Dallas, just because one, you only need him one year. I think there's partially guaranteed in the last year. Plus, even then you probably are trading him. He's, he's an expiring after next season. So that's a valuable trade piece. I think things like there's a lot of ways to work around it. I think he still has a game. And then Oklahoma City would probably give some lightly protected weak pick right now and really not have to see any damage done to them. So I'd probably say Boston or Oklahoma City do have the best trade pieces. So the, the problem with Oklahoma City is I think that this organization is going to have immense hubris of that they can they can change anybody because they have such a good track record. They've changed Chris Paul. They changed Al Horford. They traded the unmovable, untradeable Russell Westbrook contract, uh, and they got assets back in return for trading it. They traded the unmovable, unnecessary, you know, unmovable contract with Chris Paul uh, that they had to, that the Rockets had to give away picks for to get Russell Westbrook back in return. They traded that for assets and tied Jerome in a first-round pick. Uh, I think that this organization is on a hot streak right now, and they do not want to stop trying to re- rehabilitate players. Al Horford was washed, and all of a sudden now you can trade him to Dallas and get Kristaps Porzingis back. But I think that that in vacuum is a very good trade for the, for the Thunder, considering where Al Horford's value was a, a year ago. The, the thing that I worry about with KP is the culture in Oklahoma City and his fit with the young core. I think that with the Thunder being able to be in this place right now where they can give him time to rest every time he needs it 
and, and not play back to backs and uh, you know kind of find him in a role and in a system. I think that they can actually do good for his trade value, but I don't know if KP will get out of his own way. And you uh, are someone who's very much in tune with Dallas and, and you, you observe the quotes that he gives every single day. You, you listen to his press conferences and things like that. Do you trust KP with a young core? Because he wants to be the guy. And this is from the answer looking in. He, he said that he wants to be the guy uh, whenever he's sharing the floor with Luka Doncic. If he doesn't have the respect for Luka Doncic, Will he have the respect for SGA, Gabriel Deck, and and, and these players uh, that the Thunder will have on this roster next year? And so will it be more so the the culture fit that will, will hinder his value being ra- risen more so than the floor value? Yeah, and that's a good question. I do think – I want to say that he can adjust there. And, you know, SGA really is a lot different from Luka. And the offenses are vastly different. You know, it's not Luca holds the ball a lot and it's the James Harden style offense that they drew up for him, which ultimately the far and away, the person who got hurt the most was Porzingis because he, he was just a catch and shoot guy and teams guarded him pretty tightly off ball. I don't think in Oklahoma city, you're looking at the same offense. So therefore he wouldn't really have to worry too much about that. Um, I, I wouldn't think that's an, an issue just because the offenses are so different. I think that's really where the root of the issue was. And Mark certainly does move the ball around a lot more than what this Luca offense does. So would you, how would you feel as a Thunder fan, if you're getting KP back, say at the beginning of August, the trade is breaking and it's going to be Al Horford and Mitchich for KP. What would you feel and what would be your hope of moving forward for KP and how realistic is it that the Thunder can flip KP on this contract if they have a good season? Yeah, it's a heck of a uh, reclamation project, but I think ultimately I'd be pretty positive about it. You know, even on his down year, apparently this year, he still averaged 20 points a game on his most efficient year. So there's a lot to like there. And, you know, Oklahoma City has notorious, or I guess not notorious, but famously just rebuilt careers. I mean, no reason that Al Horford should have been as good as he was on that team. I think Porzingis would be a really good fit and honestly kind of accelerate the timeline a little bit, you know, maybe move it up one year. You could compete. I mean, Oklahoma City was in that play-in race before they punted the season, no? Right? right? I'm not making... Yeah, they were. Yeah, Porzingis would easily put them in that play-in contention, especially with some bona fide rookies. I think that it's a matter of, you know, is it too soon to be trying to get into that race, depending on the lottery? Now, if you get picks one and five, maybe it's not too soon. Maybe maybe it's perfectly timed. But if you get picks eight and, you know, seven and 18... Maybe it is too soon to be talking about that. I, I do think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because, you, again, you're very into with Mavericks. I do think that Chris Stops Porzingis would be the very, would be the hardest reclamation project the Thunder have ever taken on. Now, with Chris Paul, it felt a lot more, you got to rehab his image. You got you to show that he can play nice and then show that he can stay healthy. Those are two things that the Thunder couldn't really control. That Chris, you know, Chris Paul got a bad rap for not being a, a good teammate for some reason. And then he showed with last year's team, he's a great teammate. And then he also stayed healthy, which is just him switching his diet and him, uh, you know, doing the things for his body that he felt he needed to do. And with Al Horford, it felt like Al Horford never became a bad player. He just became a, a player in a bad system where he just could not coexist with, coexist with Joel Embiid. It felt like the Sixers just signed Al Horford for the sake of signing Al Horford to say, okay, well, if he's the only guy that can stop Embiid defensively, we're just going to take him away from Boston, and then so what? And they didn't think about how they fit next to each other. I feel like with Al Horford, it was simple as plugging and playing him in a new system. With KP, I do worry about not only his health, not only his attitude, but plugging and playing him and, and getting back uh, the mobility, getting back his 
ability to play defense with that injury that you're talking about that he's not really fully recovered from yet. Uh, where are you at with that in terms of, is he the hardest reclamation project Sam Presti's taken on? When you frame it like that, it's hard to disagree, but I do think that it's a pretty simple fix in terms of just saying like for him, it's all about if you spoon feed him to an extent without harming the natural flow of the offense, I think he will turn it on defensively. Like we saw it last year in the bubble and even before the shutdown, that's what was going on. Like the offense was very, I don't want to say split, but it was very much favoring Luca and Porzingis and prioritizing them to, whereas this year was just Luca that it was like, all right, we're going to commit everything to Luca. And that's why I think that's a big part of why Porzingis fell off on the defensive end. Yes, there are deep, you know, athletic issues that are concerning, but defense is a lot of effort based. So I think if he's getting his, his volume and his shots, I think the defense would kind of come. So to an extent, I agree, but also I do think it's a rather easy fix. I want to tell you right now, my good friends over at betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sport action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track it all at BetOnline. Get the latest news, odds, and information on all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. So do not silence anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their playoff runs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportbook experts, promo code locked on will get you that 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. What to say right now about a good friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is a phenomenal protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. It has nine delicious flavors, coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. There's something for everyone. My favorite flavor is the peanut butter brownie, but if you do not know your favorite flavor yet, do not worry. You can simply order a mixed box where you get two of each of the nine flavors, try them all out, and then reorder the ones you love the most. Most flavors, have 17 grams of protein and only 130 calories, only 4 grams sugar, and only 4 grams net carb. Try them today by going to BuiltBar.com. Using promo code LOCKED15 will get you 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCKED15 at 15% off for your next order. LOCKED15, BuiltBar.com, the protein where that tastes just like a candy bar. Try it out today at BuiltBar.com with our code LOCKED15. So on the same token, if they do fix KP, would this be the biggest reward for fixing a player? Because even on this contract, if you can get him back to playing like a unicorn and, and like the player that we've seen before, would you get the most in return than you have for Chris Paul or for Al Horford? Yeah. I mean, he's still like, what, 25? He's earned 26, not even like over two months. So I, I don't see why, you know, he's going to be entering his prime. That would be a guy who's living up to a max contract and that you're not like a bad contract. I have to get off of it. Kind of like the Horford one you were talking about. So I think age is on the side. I mean, it's really, can you unlock the effort again? And that's Oklahoma city is no, has done a great job of doing that in the past. I think that for Oklahoma city, and it, it seems like this is just destined to happen and maybe it's not, but it seems that way for Oklahoma city, what you should take, 
know, kind of pride in or what you should take comfort in is a better word to use is this is why you accumulate all the draft picks that Thunder have, right? Because you can take a flyer on KP. And I think that a deal can get done if you just give away Al Horford and Mitchich and, and, and then get back KP. And so then you're giving up nothing, whether you're giving up Al Horford on a, on a contract that you wanted to flip anyway. And then you're giving up a guy who is a Euro MVP that could be very good. But we don't really know that for a fact yet. You're giving away those two assets for KP. And the return for flipping KP could be monumental, Keeping KP could be awesome for your core. And then if you have to move on from KP, he's so bad that you have to attach assets to him to get him to move on. Well, you're throwing away a penny more than, you know, throwing away a hundred dollars. Like for the Mavericks right now, they have such little draft capital that if they had to come off of a first round pick just for the simple sake of losing KP off the books, that would feel like they give away a hundred dollars. The Thunder have so many first-round picks that just giving away one singular first-round pick in a, in a worst-case scenario would not feel as bad, and it'd feel kind of just like a, a penny get dropped on the floor, and you kind of move on and walk away from it. So all in all, there's only one bad outcome, and there's about three good ones with the KP trade, and that's why I think that you know it's it's a real possibility and would be very fun. Yeah, I mean, you imagine SGA and – I mean, Porzingis, like in an offense that free flows, that was far and away my biggest criticism of Dallas. It works. It works. You said it best. I mean, yeah, if you flip him, great. If you get him to his value, that's even better, I think. I, I really do think the best case is actually keeping him. So that, that would be a very intriguing path to go down towards. So what is the trade here between Oklahoma City and Dallas? Am, am I selling Dallas short by saying, ah, you know, Mitchich and now Horford, or is that kind of – realistic for for to expect hey i would do that i mean but i'm also a sucker for mitrich so it's a little bit hard um but i would say the best thing i've heard is from uh from one of my guys tyler he told me you know al horford and a 2027 top 10 protected pick for Kristaps porzingis probably does it like the value is probably that low and i believe that It'll be interesting to see how this happens. Now, is there a world in which KP's back in Dallas next year? Because I certainly do not think so. No, I, I'd be very surprised. I mean, it's a it's an it's an impossible to repair situation. That will be interesting to see how it navigates and how things move in that direction. Now, what would Al Horford do for Dallas? How would Dallas benefit from that? Because I think that they would be a lot better. I think Horford fits really well just in that look like, again, like I said, the offense went entirely to committing to Luca. And I think that would favor a low usage guy all around that does everything like Al Horford. I am very interested to see what this could look like. Hopefully this deal gets done. It'd be pretty fun. I mean, you cannot, you cannot deny that it'd be pretty fun. And, and the more you say it out loud and talk the process through there is only one terrible outcome with KP and it's that he gets even worse somehow, uh, you know, defensively and his reputation gets even worse and you have to attach something to him. And if any team has that luxury of being able to attach an asset to him to move on from him and clear him off his book, off their books, it would be the thunder and the thunder are paying literally no one. Like they're only paying Al Horford. He's the only player uh, that's helping them. They had to sign Gabriel deck to even reach the floor of the salary cap. And, and, they can take on a contract like this and feel pretty comfortable and pretty confident in it. And they have a good track record and a good reason to be confident that they can uh, kind of mold a, a player the way that they want to. The, the heat culture is a big topic, but a lot of these guys who have that reputation kind of just 
lose that negative PR once they come to Oklahoma City, but the Heat think that they do. And so I'm, I am very interested after talking to you about the KP thing more than I was, say, 24 hours ago. Yeah, I mean, it's a mutually beneficial deal if, if Dallas gets back enough of what they want, I think. I don't think Oklahoma City has to really worry about assets right now. It's not really something where they're like, oh, we can't afford this, you know. So I think it works for both teams. And I think that if you want to look at it as kind of a pessimist, if you want to look at it in the terms of the Thunder still want to tank and you want to use that verbiage, KP lets them do that, be, not because of bad play. I'm, I'm saying because he has an excuse, right? You, you, you're always going to be injuring, injury management with KP the rest of his career. Even if he's a great player, for the rest of his career, you're going to need to rest him on back-to-backs. You need to rest him on you know, three games and four nights. You need to rest him in those situations uh, to where it's no surprise if KP ends up on an injury report from time to time. Uh, so even that aspect lets you uh, get away with something. But let's say the Thunder do get a top five pick in this year's draft class, and let's call it pick three, uh, and they get Houston's pick at five even. What, is that, what does that do for the Thunder if KP's added? Would you uh, want to see them start that progression? I feel like there's a natural progression of teams where at first you start for the playoffs and you might finish in the ninth seed, and then you get to the playoffs, you're going to be very disappointed because you're going to get bounced in the fifth or sixth round, you know, fifth or sixth game of the first round and, and try to progress that way. And then the next year, okay, Hopefully we get out of the first round. We've had our growing plans. Then the next year, you know, it's a process like that, kind of a staircase like that. You're trying to move up the rung every single time. If you had KP and you had a top prospect in the year's draft class, would you start the process of taking that next step up the ladder from tanking and trying to be bad to trying to be, you know, good? Or would you still want to be bad again and get one more top pick in next year's class and capitalize that way? I think... Man, that's a hard, that's a really tough question. I think you strive for the playoffs, but accept mediocrity where it's like you can see a very visible next step in the West is hard. But also you look at things like last year, or sorry, this season, the Thunder weren't a pushover and they did not have a very good roster to be quite frank. So I think that's something where the play-in game is a very realistic scenario year one. And then you go, all right, let's get that top eight secure you know, try and get out of maybe only be in one play in game and then win. And I, I just, I don't know. I think that's a very hard progression just with the West, you know, being as difficult as it is. If it were the East, I think it would be a much more linear, easy to see progression. And it's hard to see too, because you know, we don't know anything about the Thunder's pick yet. I mean, we don't even know where they're going to pick at. What if they pick one and five and then you get Cade and Kaminga and Porzingis and that's who you add this summer. That, that changes the timeline in a, in a big way. Comparatively to if you get picks with five and eight, I mean, then you get Kaminga and Keon Johnson. I mean, that also changes the timeline a bit uh, for the Thunder. So it, it's hard to do it right now. But would you say that there is a scenario in which you would have your core by the end of the summer? If you do get picks one and five and you get Kaminga and Cade with SGA and Dort and Baisley uh, and, and Deck and Ty Jerome and, and whoever else you want to add to this core, Poku, uh, and then you also add Porzingis, would, would that kind of be the core that you'd move forward with and that you'd feel comfortable with? Um, moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think that's what I would count as that core unit. You know, you have some solid secondary guys, but I, I think that's ultimately what it would be. Like it's a it's a four man trio, or sorry, not trio. God, yeah, four man group. Didn't even mention our guy Tail Maldon, who's been. Uh, yeah, I, I like him, but I, I still am hesitant to include him until he takes that next step, which I'm confident in. But again, just want to see that next step. So, so what is the next step for Tail Maldon, in your opinion? 
by learning to finish at the rim because I'm pretty I, th- I think he was the worst finisher at the rim in the entire league. I wonder if there's something to that about the Thunder, uh, you know, just organization right now because Lou Dort is struggling at the rim, Tim Aldon struggling at the rim. Uh, so those two guys have a lot to work on the summer because I think that for each of them, if they learn how to finish at the rim better, uh, it will unlock a new portion of their offensive game and allow them to be much better players. Yeah, and it's always weird to me that Dort doesn't finish better. It was the same way at Arizona State. He was a terrible finisher. So I don't know if that's just something that's permanently broken or what, but his frame suggests he should be a lot better at it. This was a ton of fun. Another installment of our weekly chats moving forward leading up to the draft. Uh, We'll have a very, very either celebratory chat after June 22nd or very, very somber chat after June 22nd. And then next week we'll dive into individual prospects and kind of go uh, under the microscope with the draft expert on these prospects. Now, Richard, thank you so much for joining us. So let them know where they can find all of your work and where you're, what you're doing nowadays. Yeah, at Mavs Draft, I'm putting out, you know, scouting reports almost every day on the website at uh, MavsDraft.com. And then every Tuesday, I host the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. My favorite podcast, the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. So go check that out wherever you get your podcast from. Richard, always a pleasure talking to you. Cannot wait for next week to talk more about the NBA Draft. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Until then, be good and be good to one another. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.